Well, again, one of good morning to you. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, encourage you now, grab your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Haggai, chapter 2, this morning. Again, uh, if you're not real familiar with that book, uh, not a lot of messages get preached out of it, but if you go to the last book in the Old Testament of Malachi, you back up a couple of books and you're going to read it. Go Malachi, Zechariah, and then there is Haggai. As you're going there, um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you realize that most problems, whether it's in marriage, with children, at work, school, or even in church, most problems occur because of a misunderstanding? Reminds me of a story, uh, a humorous one that I heard uh, a while ago about a lady who was going to a fast food restaurant. She was going to order some chicken for takeout, and so she's getting up to the counter She's looking up at the menu, and she's kind of talking to herself a little bit. Uh, but she's not, she hasn't really started to order. And the cashier starts getting frustrated. And, and, I mean, you can really see the anger washing over this lady's face because this woman is talking, but she's not talking loud enough, you know, to actually be in order. Um, this cashier gets so mad that the people behind the lady getting ready to order, they can see how mad she's getting. And they're kind of like, oh, this isn't going to end well. Well, after what was probably no more than 30 seconds or so, the cashier blurts out, what? Let me guess, you need to know how much chicken to order for 300 people. Well, the woman didn't like getting yelled at, so she yelled back at the cashier. No, I was saying, how much chicken do I need to order for three hungry people? There's no way to walk that back. A simple misunderstanding causes two people to start yelling at each other. I don't know if you've paid attention to social media or the media in and of itself, but people have lost the art of a conversation. You have to be outraged about something every single day. Uh, one of the guys I follow on uh, social media, he, he posted almost every day, Good morning, America. What are you offended by today? Um, I'm like, whoo, that'll preach. But I'll leave it alone. But we, we have to understand that so much of what divides us and frustrates us and gets our blood pressure up is a simple misunderstanding that if we would just sit down and have a conversation, it could be dealt with right then and there. And this is something that Israel needed to learn. What we're going to see is the one big thing this morning is this, that God's blessings are because of God's grace, not man's work. Now, what does this look like in the book of Haggai chapter 2? Well, if you found it and you're able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? Is We're going to begin in verse 10 together. It says, in the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. 
And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press that for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. This is the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and that you have preserved it so that we can know the mind, the heart, and the will of God. And now, Lord, as we come and open up the Holy Scriptures, I pray that we would be as the psalmist prayed when he says, Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God's blessings are because of God's grace, not man's works. See, there are two misunderstandings that we see in the text. And these two misunderstandings are the cause of Israel suffering the way that they were at the time. The first misunderstanding that we see in the text is found in verses 10 to 13, and it's this. They misunderstood their works. This section of the book of Haggai occurs about two months after the opening of the chapter. Now, it's been 70 years of captivity, followed by it's been 16 years since they worked on the temple. So we're talking 86 years have passed in the nation of Israel, and yet they find themselves falling into the same traps over and over and over. I kind of wonder if any of us can relate to that, that we know the right thing, but we struggle to do the right thing. We see here in in verse 17, it it reminds us when it says, I smote you or struck you with blasting and mildew. It reminds us of the words that Solomon prayed as they were dedicating that first temple years before this. And God is connecting the first temple in Solomon's day to this second temple now to remind Israel that I promise to deal with you the same today as I did with your fathers over the course of history. And God said in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that if you obey me, I will give you blessings. But if you disobey me, then you're going to feel my judgment. Now what we need to understand is this. God didn't say, if you obey me, I'll love you. He didn't say, if you obey me, then you're going to be my people. No, no, no. See, they were already God's chosen nation. God chose them, not because of them, but because of who he was. And the same is very true for you and I. Should we do good works? Absolutely. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. And that we were created to do these good works. That God ordained us to do good works. But the problem is this. Too many people want to do good works so that they can earn God's love. 
They want to do good works so they can earn their salvation. And God's going, you don't get it. You, you're not working to earn my love. You're not working so that I will save you. The purpose of our works is to simply demonstrate that we have been saved and that we're grateful that God saved us in the first place. So it's not that we shouldn't do the good things. It's we need to make sure that we're doing them for the right reasons. And this wasn't the case with Israel. Fact of the matter, God would basically charge them through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 29. In verse 13, he says, This people draw near with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We would put it this way in 2018. They were just going through the motions. They, they, were, they were doing the right things. They were doing the things that they were supposed to do. But they were doing it with the wrong heart and a wrong attitude. And so many people in church today, they, they kind of fall in that same category because they feel like I've got to earn my salvation. I, I've got to do enough good things for, for God to allow me into heaven. And yet God is going, this isn't the truth of Scripture, that you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. He says it is a gift from God. And so God knew what he was getting when he died in our place. He knew that he was getting sinners who would rebel from him whether they ever went to church or not. See, there's that rebellious spirit inside of all of us. The same as there is everybody else in this world. And what we see here is their misunderstanding. Their point was, well, as long as we're building the temple, God will be happy with us and God will give us good stuff. And God's going, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your works. I want you. I want your heart. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. That's what God desires more than our, our preaching, more than our teaching, more than our singing, more than the money, more than the prayer, more than church attendance. God wants us. He wants us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. In fact, of the matter, he said that this is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so one of the things that we must always ask ourselves is this. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Let's pretend it's your birthday. Somebody comes up and, and gives you a gift. What do you say? Thank you, right? Now, do you walk up to them on your birthday and go, thank you, in hopes that they will give you a gift? I hope not. But we say thank you after they have given us the gift. And this is the same as it is with our salvation. We don't work so that God will give us the gift. We work because God has given the gift. And that gift was His Son, Jesus Christ. That the sinless one died for the sinful. That Jesus' death on the cross accomplished what you and I could never hope to accomplish in our life. And so we want to spend the rest of our lives just honoring and glorifying Him by doing what He has created us to do. 
But not only do they misunderstand the purpose of their works, but the second misunderstanding we see in this text is this. They misunderstood God's discipline. How many of you like to get disciplined? I'm shocked. None of us like it. How many of you have learned from being disciplined? And there's the point. See, Israel thought God was just being a big old meanie. That he was punishing them just because he could. And my guess is, you've probably had similar thoughts in your life at some time. When things just seem to be going wrong. You utter this phrase, I don't know why this is happening. And see, when we utter that phrase, what we're saying is, God, you're just doing it because you want to. This is exactly where Israel is here. Yet God disciplined the nation of Israel because they disobeyed and they disregarded his word. See, God said in Jeremiah 29.10 that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. Now, that just seems like kind of a random number, right? 70. But it wasn't a random number. It was an on-purpose number. Because God, back in the law, in the first five books of the Old Testament, he told Israel, you are to work the land for six years. On the sixth year, I'm going to give you double. Because on the seventh year, don't mess with it. Don't farm the land that seventh year. Let it rest. Well, over the course of 490 years, Israel worked as though it all depended on them. And so if you divide every seventh year into 490, you come up with the number 70. God was disciplining them to remind them, I'm doing this because you disregarded this. Why does God discipline us? Because we've disregarded and disobeyed this. But not only because we have disregarded and disobeyed it, but also it is a a, a sign that God loves us. I know that sounds really strange. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm getting a spiritual spanking because God loves us? Well, let me ask you this way. What did your parents always tell you before they disciplined you? This is going to hurt me than it, more than it hurts you. All right, can I just be honest? That's a lie. <laughs> All right, it, it wasn't their backside that was feeling that branch. All right, but that's another sermon for another Sunday. But they always said it. But, but here's the thing, now I'm a parent. Okay, God's got a sense of humor. He's given me four wonderful children. And I got to tell you, most of the time, just being honest, most of the time, it pains me to have to discipline them. Sometimes I'm like, listen, you got what, you're getting what you got coming. But it does hurt. But why do I do it? Because I want my three boys and my little girl. I want them to grow up loving and respecting the Lord and authority and being the men and the woman of God that God created them to be. That, that's the, the purpose of, I know this guy, um, you know, he grew up in a Christian home, had some pretty good role models around him, but he made poor choices. And he ended up having a, a drinking problem and 
He ended up stealing uh, from his parents and hurting relationships and all sorts. I mean, just really sabotaged his life. And one day the dad came home and said, you know what? I'm done. You need to pack your stuff and get out. Well, this guy thought, you know what? Mom will protect me from dad. He's just being a jerk. And so he goes to his mom and goes, Mom, you got to talk to dad. He wants to kick me out. And he's expecting mom to take his side, right? And all of a sudden that mama looks at him and goes, you know what? It's too much. You need to pack your stuff, give me your key, and you need to get out. Now we think, oh man, that's, that's terrible. Like his parents completely turned on him. Yet I can tell you that his story has a redemptive ending. Because God used that discipline to break that cycle of sin and bring that heart to him. And maybe what you're going through right now, it could be because of your sin. And and that's the punitive side. You have disobeyed Scripture, and so now you're feeling the consequences of those decisions you made. But some of you, you could be going through a difficult time right now because God is trying to purify your life. Like, he's not saying you're not saved. He's going, but there's a sin in your life, and we need to deal with this. And in his love, God will discipline us. Uh, There in Proverbs 3 and later on in Hebrews 12, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And so God is trying to demonstrate his love by going, Listen, your life isn't what it should be. And so I'm going to allow you to experience the consequences of your sinful choices. Not to kill you, but to kill the sin that is in you. We see it in Jeremiah. Again, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you an expected end. We, we said a couple weeks ago we love to coffee mug that verse. But we often forget the verse before it. When he says, when 70 years in Babylon are completed. God was saying, listen, you have sinned against me. You've disregarded and disobeyed my word. And so now you're going to suffer the consequences for 70 years. But then God says, for I know the thoughts I have towards you. I know the plans I have. God was saying, listen, this discipline is going to accomplish my ultimate goal. Now, you're asking, I, I can hear you, what is God's ultimate goal? Good question. Let's answer Jeremiah 29. 12 and 11. He says, then, at the end of the 70 years, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. God's ultimate goal was not to make their life easy on this earth so that they would continue to disobey and disregard God's word. God's ultimate goal was to get the hearts of the nation of Israel back to him. God, his ultimate goal for you is that you would bring your heart and your life to him and trust him with everything. And so if God has to put us on our back so that we'll look up, God will do it. 
Because only when we're on our back looking up do we look where our help comes from. Psalm 121 says, my eyes look into the hills. Where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God's ultimate purpose in everything that he is doing, it's twofold. It is for his glory and it is for your good. And the ultimate good for you and I is to be in an obedient relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what he desires in all of us. And so God will discipline us for it. God's not trying to be some mean person who's just getting his revenge on you. He's trying to attack and destroy every false god that you have in your life. It's what he did to the Egyptians. How many of you remember the 10 plagues in Egypt? All right, every one of those plagues was attacking an Egyptian god. God was going, listen, oh, you think that god will save you? Watch this, boom. Oh, that one, boom. That one, 10 times. He attacked the false gods until Egypt had no other choice, until Pharaoh had to go, listen, There is a God, and those aren't him. And this is what God's seeking for you. God is seeking that you will no longer search for love and joy and happiness and peace in the gods of this world, the gods of pleasing people on social media, the gods of money, the gods of sports, the gods of power and prestige, the gods of titles. God wants you to know that there's one God and he's the God that is revealed in scripture and that anything that takes him off the throne of your heart and your life, he will attack it and destroy it for your good so that we will come to the understanding that we need God. A.W. Tozer put it best when he said, you won't realize that God is all you need until he's all you have. Some of you are learning that lesson right now. And it's painful. And it breaks my heart. You know, I look at my kids and sometimes they make boneheaded choices. And I have to, every fiber in my body wants to just step in and, and protect them from those consequences but if I do that then I'm going to teach them to depend on me instead of depend on God and I'm a lot of things God's not one of them have you gotten to the point where you've given full control of your heart and your life to Jesus Christ I'll give you a simple test What causes you to worry? What keeps you up at night? There's your gods. It's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? We think, well, I got to worry about this. I got to do this. No, you don't. As God said to Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I told the ocean you can only come this far? God doesn't need us. He's got this. Where do we spend most of our time? Most of our resources? 
There's our God. See, maybe God's disciplining us to reveal to us who we're trusting. And he's doing it because of his love and his desire that we would have a right relationship with him. Because one more point before we we move on from this one. Psalm 30 verse 5 says this, For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Man, we love that last part, right? That weeping is going to be night, but joy is coming in the morning. We hold on to that. But we often forget what that verse says in the beginning. For his anger is but for a moment. In the prophet Isaiah, he says, I am God. I will give my glory to no other. God's saying, I'll play second fiddle to nobody. He's either Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all, Adrian Rogers used to say. What it teaches us is this, that God's discipline won't last forever. And that's good news. But it could also be scary. Because 1 John 5 teaches that there's a sin unto death. And it doesn't say what that sin unto death is. It's something a believer can commit. It's, It's this understanding that if we continuously live in habitual sin, that is, God reveals the truth of it in Scripture, and we just keep rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it. God will not take our salvation away from us, because as we saw in Ephesians 2, salvation is a gift. All right, It was given to us, though we didn't earn it or deserve it. So we won't lose our salvation, but we will lose our life. We can prematurely end our days on this earth through habitual sin. This is why you hear me say week after week after week, please don't take sin lightly. That sin that we laugh off or that sin that we uh, give a cute little pet name to, That sin caused God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, to come to this earth and to lay down his life, not for anything he did, but for everything I've done and that you have done and that the world has done, just for the opportunity that we could come into a relationship with him. And so we can't take our sin lightly because it caused God's life. But he's even more powerful than death because three days later he rose from the dead and he affirms in us that that means there is life after death. That there is an eternity waiting on each of us, heaven or hell, and it's based on one thing. Not how often did you go to church. Not how many times did you read through the Bible. Not how many sermons did you preach. Not how many mission projects did you do. The question is this. What did you do with my son Jesus? You either accepted him by grace through faith or you rejected him. But what about for non-believers? We can pull out a few stories in Scripture that would show us this. That there can come a time in which we continue to reject God and his grace over and over and over. In which instead of the way Jesus taught us to pray, which was your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we can send to the point where God says, okay, your will be done. And he withdraws. 
the conviction, the, the drawing power for a relationship, God says, you don't want me, I'm not going to make you. Have it your way. And the thing is, we don't know when it is. And that's the seriousness of sin. That it, it, at any moment, whether you're saved or you're lost here this morning, at any moment when we rebel against God, we could stand, be standing before Him in the very next breath. And so why is this text important to us? Well, it's important for one reason, one application. That is this, that salvation is by gray, God's grace. Sola gratia is the word that came out of the Reformation. In verses 18 and 19 in our text, they, they are a picture of God's grace. See, I want you to understand, verses 10 to, to 17, that's the blackness of man's sin. It's the constant rebellion against God. And God has been disciplining and disciplining and disciplining. And then all of a sudden, God changes it. And all of a sudden, it flips. Verse 18, consider now from this day and upward. Verse, seven, verse 19, is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, is yet the, the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree had not brought forth. God's going, listen, you're still sinning. You're still rejecting me. You're, you're still messing it up. Yet look at the very end of that verse from this Day will I bless you. God is saying, I'm going to continue to extend grace to you, not because you deserve it, not because you earn it, but because I want to give it to you. And guys, this is, the, this is the good news of the gospel. That, that in the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything perfectly. Back about in Genesis 130, uh, 1.31, it says, And God saw everything that he made and said, Behold, it is very good. And then all of a sudden, Genesis chapter 3 comes. And through poor leadership on the part of Adam and disobedience on the part of Eve, they sinned against God. And they plunged all of humanity ever since then into the depths of sin. Oh, let's be honest. God's not holding us guilty because what Adam and Eve did for the 6,000 years ago. No, no, see, we're sinners by birth and by choice. Ever notice you don't have to teach a toddler how to throw a temper tantrum? Ever notice how you don't have to teach a kid how to lie? Like that is factory installed equipment because of Genesis chapter 3. All right? So, so what we need to do is we need to get the upgraded model, which is not me, but Christ living in me. Because of my sin... God, in his holiness, he should kick me out of his presence for all of eternity. Yet in his love for me, and his love for you, and his love for the world, God sent his son to die on the cross. That all who would simply confess, that is, agree with God that what they did is wrong. And that they would turn from their sin, and instead turn in faith to Jesus. Romans ten thirteen says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is saying, I'm going to give you grace despite your sin. We, we said it last week this way, that God hasn't given up on you yet. I don't know about you, but that deserves a hallelujah happy dance. If I wasn't afraid to dislocate my kneecap, I might. 
But God hasn't given up on you. You're here. You've got an opportunity. But please, don't forsake it. I'm not going to try to scare you. I don't want to manipulate you. I don't know when your life's going to end. I don't know when my life's going to end. But I do know this. Scripture says it's going to end. And when it does, the time for getting right with God is over. I pray you have 30, 40, 50 more years. But what I'm, what I care about more than anything is knowing that whether you have six minutes or 60 years, you are prepared to stand before your Lord. That you don't have to fear death. For Jesus overcame death in your place. And that's not going to happen because of what you and I do. It happened because of what Jesus did on that cross. And me confessing that, God, I have sinned against you and I have rejected you in so many ways. But Lord, I'm so grateful you died in your place. I want to give you my heart and I want to give you my life. And I want to live for you from this day till my very last. But the gospel is not just for the sinner. See, the gospel is also for the saint. I heard a pastor put it this way. We never graduate beyond the gospel. Because anything good we do, God does it in us and through us. Anything we have, God gave it to us. So I have to ask a question. If you're here today and you profess to be a Christian, what's the sole basis of your assurance? Are you positive you're going to heaven because of what you've done or what Jesus did on your behalf? I would also ask you this, are you doing what God ordained you to do? See, God didn't ordain you. He didn't save you so you could sit sour and soak. He saved you so that you might serve him. So that you could reflect his glory for the good of others. If you've been saved, God's given you a spiritual gift. One to be used. Are you using it? If not, it's time to confess it and turn from the sin. But if there are those here this morning who have never trusted Christ, I want to tell you there's good news you're here. God's allowed you to see the sun rise of another day. He's bestowed upon you grace to be able to hear the gospel. And the power is not in the preacher, the power is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Will you spurn God's love and grace again? Will you tempt God and reject Him once again? Or will you simply fall in humility and love and gratefulness into the loving arms of the Savior who died for you? There's no one here who has sinned so terribly 
that the grace of God will not save you fully and completely this very moment if you cry out in faith to him. And likewise, there's no one here that's so good that they don't need that grace of God. So whether you're saved or whether you're not yet, we'll sum it up this way. Please don't put off until tomorrow that which God says needs to be done right now. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray this morning? Father God, in, in the quietness of this moment, having gone through time of worship in which we've sung songs to praise you in which we've seen face to face the testimony of your grace and your love and and the powerfulness of God and now we've heard the truth of your word that you're the only way we can be saved and be right with God And then even if we are saved, there's no excuse for our sin. That we need to turn from it. We need to seek your help to live in a way that glorifies you and that you can be, that you can use us to reach others with this gospel. So Father, I I don't want to pretend to know where everybody is here this morning. I don't want to pretend to to know exactly everything that they have gone through or going through. But Father, I do want to just stand in this gap and simply proclaim that Jesus saves and that your grace is amazing because it saved a wretch like me. And God, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you could save somebody like me, there's no one beyond your reach. And I know that you desire for them to come to you in faith and and to trust you. But God, it's a choice they have to make. For you won't make them. Preachers can't save them. They must see their sin for what it is so they can see the glory of the Savior for who He is. That where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So Father, let us fall on our faces this morning. Let us cry out to You, the only God, from our heart. Confessing our sin and pleading for your help to live in a way that glorifies you. That we would just spend our life and that you would wring us out so that others could see the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. Move in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to give your heart and life to Christ, don't be down here. You can come up here.